So we started a series two weeks ago called The Good Life. And how many of you, just show of hands, um, you want to live a good life? You know, you want to live a life where you say, man, I want to I I experience life. I want to enjoy it. I want to live a life of joy and peace. But how many of you know that life has a tendency sometimes to suck all the life out of it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like, you want to live this good life. You want to live this great life. But maybe because of a series of circumstances that has happened to you, maybe it was a, a failed marriage. Maybe it was a relationship that you got into and you thought it was going to go a certain way and it didn't. Or maybe you got this job and it didn't end up working out, or whatever it is, and the good life that you thought that you were going to live is not the good life that you're wanting to live today. And so what I want to do, I want to talk about something, um, and and it's going to sound like everything, like not the good life, okay, in the message that I want to give to you today. I'll be honest with you, the the scripture that I'm going to teach from today in Psalms 88 is probably one of the darkest scriptures in all of... um, in all of the Bible. It probably really is. So what, I'm going to just forewarn you right now as we talk through this. Um, how many of you ever see those movies sometimes and you don't understand? It doesn't make sense and then it makes sense in the end and they hit you with the punchline and it all makes sense. So hopefully that's what I can do this morning. So I'm going to talk. It's going to be a little dark. It's going to be a little grim. It may be a little depressing, but I promise you there is a good part at the end. But I want to start off by saying this. One of my biggest frustrations, I guess, one of my biggest pet peeves with Christianity, and especially church, and especially Christians, is um, we're really, really, really good at faking spiritual maturity. So, so for instance, you know, maybe you and your wife, before you got here today, you got in this huge blow-up right? You were arguing, and then you pull up to church, and you're like, it's Pastor Zach, smile, son. <laughs> like, you know, you get to church, and all of a sudden, you walk in the door, and people are greeting your hands, and they're shaking your hands, and hey, how are you? And what do you do? What do you reply? Oh, I'm fine. Everything is great. But inside, we know everything's not good. Inside, we know that something is really going on. Something deeper is really going on. And there is this tendency within Christianity to adopt this ideology called fake it till you make it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hey, I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to kind of coast through life. I'm just going to deal with this on my own. But here's the truth. My goal today is this. If your life is a wreck and you're depressed, my sole goal today is to get you to admit that. I want you to admit that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. So maybe your life right now is depressing. Maybe it's a wreck. But listen, I believe through the scriptures, through what God wants to do through us today, to just get to that place where we can say, you know what? I'm not okay. Everything in my life is not going good. And just to get to a point where we can get to a place with just brutal honesty and say, this is where I'm at, this is what I need help with, and God, please help me to get there. I think oftentimes we come to church and we come around Christian circles and we pray to God, hopefully that somebody doesn't ask us how we're doing. Because usually when somebody asks us how we're doing, there's two responses that we give. Number one, the first response we give is we just lie about the situation. Hey, how's your marriage? It is fantastic. It is amazing. And like literally like behind you, your wife is researching ways on the internet to kill you and get away with it. And you're saying, oh, it is just fantastic. Or the second tendency that we have is we try to make the struggle not appear so bad. 
So we, we, we say things like, oh, you know, it, it's kind of rough right now, but you know what, it's not that bad. We'll get through it. We'll make it. We, we always do. We always get to a place of resolve. But here's the problem with that mentality. And Paul Tripp, who is a pastor, he quoted it this way. He said, sick people don't get better by pretending they're not sick. Sick people find help by admitting they have an illness and seeking a doctor. So here's the truth. All of us, all of us, I don't care if you've been saved for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, all of us are sick with sin. And all of us have things sometimes that we have this tendency to cover up, to mask the situation, just to say, hey, the situation isn't that bad. And the truth is, all God wants us to do today is get to a place, arrive at a place where we can say, you know what, I'm not okay. There are aspects in my life that I need to be transparent about. There are things in my life that I am going through that, to be quite honest with you, I've been trying to do it by myself for a long time, and it's still getting me the same results. And this is why I want to turn to the book of Psalms today. Because the thing that I love about the Psalms is there is never a single attempt within the Psalms to polish up reality. They're just transparent. The thing that I love about the Psalms is, is, is you read it, and it, it, sometimes it feels a little schizophrenic because sometimes there's a writing of an author and they're, they're just praising God. They're saying, God, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being graceful and coming in and protecting me and guarding me and stewarding my life and, and all this. And then you literally flip over to the next psalm and it's like, curse you, God. And isn't that how our life is sometimes? That, man, we go through these seasons where it's excellent and it's fantastic and we feel like God is for us and we feel like everything is going well. And then sometimes we turn the next chapter in our life and it's not going so well. The thing I love about the Psalms is there's just a brutal honesty about it. There's never a single attempt to polish up reality. And oftentimes in Christianity, that is what we try to do. We try to polish up our reality. I'm not really struggling that bad. Yeah, I struggle, but it's not that bad. And I think all God wants us to do is get to the place like the psalmist many times and just say, you know what, the struggle is bad. And I've been trying to deal with it on my own for a long time, over and over and over again, and I'm just getting the same results, and I'm not getting anywhere. And here's the truth. In the midst of painful honesty, you will find a common theme in every single psalm. In every single psalm, there is a common theme. There is this lamenting, there is this crying out to God, there is all these things that they're saying, God, this is my problem, this is my issue. But usually at the end of every single psalm, there is a resolve. It always resolves, except for one psalm. There's one psalm, there's 150 psalms, and 149 of them end bringing glory to God, except for one. There's one psalm in Psalm 88, and the psalm ends in a very troubling way. The psalm ends like just bleak and depressing. Look, here's actually the end of it. It says, you made lover and neighbor alike dump me. (laughs) The only friend I have left is darkness, the end. And you're kind of reading it and you're like, man, that's depressing, right? Usually every psalm that you read and it's like, but God, you came through, you provided for me, you were there for me. But the thing that I love about this psalm, and I think the reason that so many of us relate to it, because oftentimes that's how life is. Man, maybe, maybe you've been, maybe you talk to a friend and you're going through some issues and they said, man, you just need to come to church. You just, you just need to read your Bible. You just need to pray some more. You just need to get into community. And you do all these things. You enter in, you come to church, you start reading, you get in a life group, and you're still in the same exact position. 
You still feel depressed. You feel, still feel like God is distant. You still feel alone. Why? Why? And I think oftentimes because the reality is we're still concealing struggles. We're still concealing, to be honest with you, the depths of what our heart are really going through and what we're really struggling with and what we're really dealing with. So, what do we do when we find ourselves at that place? What do we do when we're kind of warring with ourselves? We want to live the good life. We want to live a life that's full of joy and we want to live a life full of peace, but we continually wake up in the morning every single day and we feel depression. We feel anxiety. We feel like there's no peace. We feel like, man, I'm just going through the motions of life. I'm just waking up in the morning. I'm going to work and I'm dealing with the same drama every single day. And then you read a psalm like Psalms 88, and you're like, dang, God, why would you even put something like that in the Bible that's so bleak and so depressing? Why doesn't the author find peace and refuge and comfort at the end like every other psalm? And the truth is there's going to be hopeless, despairing moments in your life where cliche phrases like there's a light at the end of the tunnel is going to do nothing for you. You ever had that where you feel like you're just like so depressed and you're so like down and you don't feel like anything is going well and somebody just puts your hand on the shoulder and you're like, you know what, brother, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You just want to look at them and say, shut up, (laughs) right? Because there's going to be moments in our life when you feel like, man, I'm quoting the scripture, I'm I'm trying to live out whatever somebody else is telling me and it's just not working. Can I be honest with you as a pastor? There are so many times in my life where I've come to crossroads in my life, and can I just be really honest with you? I've doubted God. Like, God, are, are you in this moment right now? Like, are you with me? Have you, why are you silent? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you ever feel like, man, I feel like God has just left me in this moment to deal with it by myself? Maybe you've been through death. Maybe you've walked through mental illness. Maybe you've taken medicine and you still find yourself at a place and it's just not working. What do we do? Where do we turn? Where do we go? Let me read this psalm. This is Psalms 88. And I want you to get a better understanding of the author's true, honest thoughts. And the whole reason that I'm reading this psalm, I want you to notice something. There is not one single attempt in this psalm to try to make his life sound any better than what it really is. He's not trying to polish up anything. He's not trying to say, like, God, you know what? I struggle with some things, but you know what? I'm fine over here. He's just saying, listen, God, I'm just going to get it all out there, and I'm going to tell you the true state of my soul and my heart. So this is Psalms 88. We're going to read the whole thing. It says, God, you are my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. I love that. He's like, God, save me again. Anybody ever done that? Like when when, when Mike comes out here or I close a service and I I say something like, hey, if you want to give your life to God today, you can do that right now. And you're like, man, I know I did it last week, but just to make sure. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like this is what this guy's saying. He said, God, put me on your salvation agenda. If I'm not saved, like save me again. He says, take notes of the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. He says, I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off. I'm a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. One more body and a stack of corpses and not much more as a gravestone. 
I'm, on, I'm in a black hole of oblivion. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit, sunk me in pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage. Relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger, you turned my friends against me. You made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze. I can't find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. Now watch this. I call to you, God. All day, I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. Are the dead a live audience for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join the choirs that praise you? Does your love make any difference in a graveyard? Is your faithful presence noticed in the corridors of hell? Are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark, your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God shouting for help at my prayers every morning on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. And this is how he ends it. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. That's a bleak, dark psalm, right? But that's what brutal honesty looks like. And I'll tell you this. If you want to live the good life, If you want to live a life full of joy, full of peace, full of community, you're going to have to get to the place where you say, I will embarrass whatever sin I need to. I will confess whatever I need to. I will be honest with somebody else about where I'm at so that I can be free of that. I genuinely believe that one of the reasons that this psalm is in the Bible is to show us what brutal honesty looks like. That, man, if if you want to live the good life, if you want to live a a life of peace and joy, you have got to get to the place where you say, I need some help, and this is what I'm dealing with. And don't polish up your reality. See, the reason that this passage, when we read it and you see the words on the screen, the reason that it resonates with so many of you, so many of you are going to go home this morning and say, man, that's my favorite passage. I love that part. Why do we feel that way? We feel that way because we connect with its honesty. We connect with its honesty. A side note, the world relates to our Jesus when we're willing to be weak. You ever find somebody who is a Christian and they're, they're, it seems like everything in their life is always going well and it almost kind of distances you from them because you feel like I can never be perfect like them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, it just seems like everything in their life is always going well. They never struggle with anything. They never talk about what they're dealing with. And you know why we feel that distance between that person? And we know why we we feel like they're fake? Because usually they are. Because they feel like, I've got to cover up. I've got to hide who I really am. Because if people find out who I really am, they'll treat me differently. They, they, They won't accept me. Whatever the reasons are. But the truth is, at the end of the day, the reason that you connect when people are brutally honest and when the reason that you connect with people that are weak is because you say, man, I relate with that. You can put yourself in those shoes in that moment, and you know what that gives you? It gives you hope. The reason that I share personal stories all the time is because I'm constantly trying to deconstruct this idea, well, just because I'm a pastor, I don't struggle with anything. Man, that's the farthest from the truth. Because at the end of the day, the truth is, most people connect when we just are willing to be weak. See, the world cannot relate with squeaky clean Christianity because it's just not reality. The truth is it's just not reality. There's not a single attempt to polish reality in Psalms 88. 
I'll, I'll give you a little look into my own life. Many of you know about two and a half weeks ago, almost three weeks ago now, I got in a wreck. Had a guy hit me at 75 miles an hour at a dead stop. You know, when something like that happens to you, it, like I was, I was on my way just doing my thing, going about my life. It wasn't anything that I was hoping for. It definitely wasn't anything that I was expecting. It, I actually, I was jamming out. I had headphones in and I was jamming music and the next thing I know, I'm in the median unconscious. I wasn't expecting it. And then right after this wreck happens, <laughs> um, it's just kind of how life tends to go. Right after the wreck, there's about a day of maybe normality, and then all of a sudden it's like, bam, flu. And not flu like just me, but everybody in the household. So it's almost like, and, and it was like slowly trickling down to each child, to each child. And there's, there comes a point where you want to put a cup in the middle of the table and say, everybody drink from this cup. <laughs> like we're all getting sick together so we can get over this, right? And in that moment, in the, in the past two and a half weeks, man, because I've been laid out, because we've been sick, what does this do? It creates weak moments. So my wife and I aren't connecting like we usually are. It's, it's not normality like it usually is. We're not in this schedule with our kids like we usually are. We're tired. We're exhausted. All these things are going on, and there's shootings in Crowley, and all this stuff compacting and compiling and compressing. And man, the, the, I'll just be honest with you, the past two and a half weeks... I have not felt strong. I've felt weak. But here, here's the truth. The way that I get back to that strength, the way that I get back to feeling that connection with Jesus, the reason that I share all this is simply this. We struggle less when we share the struggle. We struggle less when we share what we're struggling with because the way to strength is admitting that you're weak. Jesus even says this in scripture. He says, hey, listen, if you want to be strong, first admit you're weak. And if you admit you're weak, then guess what? I'll give you a strength that you can never have on your own. I'll give you my strength. I'll be your supply in that moment. See, we all struggle with things, but we will struggle less if we learn to own our struggles. So what do you do in that moment when you feel like your world is just completely crashing down? What do you do when you feel hopeless? What do you do when you feel like everything that you've tried, you've prayed, you've gone to church, you've done all these things, what do you do when it's not working? What do you do when you tragically lose a loved one? What do you do when you had this plan of how your life was going to be and then all of a sudden something instantly changes that plan? What do you do? What do you do? Because here's the truth. Before I answer that, every single person in this room will one day come face to face with the Psalms 88 moment. Man, where it's not a light at the end of the tunnel. And listen, if you don't come to that moment, here's what I've learned. God will strategically put you next to people in those moments so that you can be there with them. I remember I've shared this story before. I remember seven, eight years ago, I got a phone call. I was working in Baton Rouge at the time from my mother said, hey, your dad has cancer, and they gave him six months to live. Man, that's, that, 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 that's a moment when, man, all the scripture that you know, all the relationship that you have established with Jesus, it's still, that is a weak moment. We're all one phone call away. We're all one instance away, one day away from a Psalms 88 moment. And what do we do when we find ourselves there? I'm going to give you three things according to scripture. 
Number one, practice lamenting. Practice lamenting. And here's all this simply put. Practice crying out to God. And this is what the authors in Psalms do. They're just writing it down in words. They're practicing crying out to God. In other words, sometimes the only thing that you can do is a moment is to go, God, where are you? Sometimes that's the only thing that we know how to do. Listen, sometimes the best thing that you can do is pray the most honest prayer that you've ever prayed. Because here's the truth. God knows your thoughts anyway. It's not like, hey, God, I'm gonna just, I don't want to say this. God's like, he's up, he's like, I know what you're thinking anyway. <laughs> don't you find that funny? Like, I'm gonna just polish this prayer up a little bit, and God's like, I can read minds. <laughs> so sometimes, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to get in your bedroom, you need to close the door and go, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I'm praying, I'm doing everything that I know how to do. Where are you? And God's not angry at you when you do that. God's not angry when you have questions. Practice lamenting. Psalms 34, watch, this is so powerful. Psalms 34, verse 17. It says, is anyone crying for help? Now watch this. God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. It says, disciples so often get into trouble. Still, God is there every single time. He's your bodyguard shielding every bone. Not even a finger gets broken. The wicked commit slow suicide. They waste their lives hating the good. Watch this. I love this. God pays for each slave's freedom. No one who runs to him loses out. God pays for each slave's freedom. And it says, everyone who cries out to God, God will rescue them. Every single person that says, I'm in a hopeless pit, and it says, God help me, it says, God will be your bodyguard. It says, there won't even be a single bone that will be broken. And I know some of you read that text and you go, oh, but Pastor Zach, you don't know my life. You don't know the bones that have been broken. You don't know the things that have been shattered. You don't know the pain that I've walked through. I may not, but God does. And here's the truth that I've learned. Every single broken bone that you have, that pain is never wasted if you would surrender it to God. Never. Never. Listen, there may be things that have been done to you by men, but I promise you this God is nothing like your father. You you may have a great father, you may have a horrible father, but at the end of the day, if you look at God like your earthly father, I want you to know something. He's nothing like him. God is a father who opens up with his arms open wide, ready to accept you at any moment, any time, any place, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're walking through. Practice lamenting. See, the Bible actually even encourages you to ask hard questions. God, why am I going through this? You know, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Lazarus. And Jesus is on kind of this, this mission. He's preaching, he's, he's teaching people. He's got a mission to do. Well, Lazarus, who is Jesus's, one, one of Jesus' good friends, these people send word to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, you need to get to Lazarus now. We need you to put your hands on him and heal him. He is dying. And Jesus, in that moment, he's not in a hurry. And usually, Jesus never is. If you've learned anything about God, he's, he's usually never in a hurry. You might cry out, God, where are you? And God's like, don't worry, I got it. <laughs> I need you here now. 
And so, long story short, um, Jesus continues teaching, he continues preaching, he continues doing what he needs to do. Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies, so they send word to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, listen, you, you don't need to come. You don't need to go see Lazarus. He's dead. So Jesus hears that he's dead. He travels over there. And one of the first things that he comes in, that he runs into, that Jesus runs into, is two women, Mary and Martha, which were Lazarus' sisters. And they look at Jesus, and, and, and they say this in John 11. They said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have been dead. Now, have you ever found yourself at a moment like that in your life? God, if you would have just showed up, I wouldn't have been in this place. God, if you would have just answered my prayers when I needed you to answer them, then I would not be at this place. That's exactly what's going on. These two women are looking at Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, if you would have just showed up, we wouldn't have been mourning. We wouldn't have been weeping for the past four days. We wouldn't have had to deal with all this pain, all this agony, all this hurt. And I love this about Jesus. He goes, oh, he's been dead for four days? I don't know if you know anything about ancient times, but when, they, when you died, they would mummify you. Now, I don't know if you know anything about mummification, but when they mummify you, they remove your organs and your blood from your body. So Lazarus is in a mummified, he's not just dead, he's dead. <laughs> he's got he's, no organs, no blood, nothing. And I love how Jesus just comes up onto the scene and he says, oh really, no, he's not dead, he's sleeping. Now imagine the insult that that would be. No, no, Jesus, you know what? he's not sleeping. Like, he ain't got a heart in his body. <laughs> The dude's got no blood, no food, nothing. He is dead. He's not sleeping. And Jesus goes, no, he's sleeping. I'm telling you, he's sleeping. Now, in that moment, if that was your family member, what would you do? You would look at Jesus. You are crazy. He says, no, he's sleeping. He walks up to the grave, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out of the grave walks a man, Lazarus. And here's what I love about this story, that even in the middle of death, Jesus did not see death. He still saw, okay, this may be dead. You may think, everybody around here, they may think that this guy is gone. The situation is over. It's just completely done. We're going to mourn. We're gonna, we've lost Lazarus. He's dead. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes, no, death doesn't hold me down. Death doesn't hold me down. And listen, here's, here's why I share this story. Because some of you are looking at seasons of your life right now and you feel exactly like Lazarus. That marriage, it's dead. That relationship, it's dead. That, that job opportunity, it's dead. But listen, if you surrender to Jesus, and if you are looking to Jesus to be your life, listen, even the moments in your life when you feel like God has left you and you feel like it's dead, Jesus arrives on the scene and says, no, it's just sleeping. Maybe you've forgotten the dream. Maybe you've forgotten the promise that God has given you. And all he does, he walks into this scene and he breathes life into that moment. And so why do I say this again? I say practice lamenting because even the things in your life that seem like they're dead, Jesus looks at them and says, they're not dead if you would just surrender them to me. They're not dead. There's another story. It's about a man named Jonah. And God calls Jonah. He says, Jonah, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell these people about me. 
And, and Jonah, he's a smart guy. He knows about the city of Nineveh. And he knows that in Nineveh, they kill Christians. I mean, they're, they're heathens, they're hypocrites, they're cursing God's name. And Jonah's like, no, no, not me, God. You got the wrong dude. I don't know MMA. I don't know martial arts. Nothing. You got the wrong dude. I am not going to Nineveh because as soon as I show up to Nineveh, they are going to kill me. So what does he do? Like many of us do. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to outrun God. How many of you know, how many of you have ever tried to outrun God? <laughs> and like you, you've tried to run and you've tried to get away. And you've tried to do all these things, but it's, got, it's, like, it's like that creepy guy that comes around the corner every time. Like, I'm still here, bro. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> so Jonah's on this boat and all of a sudden this huge storm. He's running away from the call that God's given him. This huge storm comes up. And Jonah says, hey, listen, God's after me. He's trying to get me. If you guys want to live, just throw me overboard, and and the storm will stop. Which those guys, okay, no problem. (laughs) So they throw this dude overboard, and imagine he's floating in the sea like, man, this sucks. And then it gets a little worse. He gets swallowed by a fish. It says he's in the belly of the fish for three days. And now this is what Jonah, this is his conversation to God. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I say, really? <laughs> and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Now, I want you to notice something here. It wasn't until the third day when Jonah is sitting in the belly of the fish where he's finally like, all right, God, I think I hear you. <laughs> I might consider going to Nineveh. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now watch this, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is just another word for hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now I want you to notice something. Notice that Jonah does not cry out to God until he's in his darkest hour. He doesn't cry out to God until he's done his running, he's gotten on the ship, He's been swallowed by a fish, and finally, he goes, all right, God, you got my attention. So here's the question that I want to pose, and some of you know exactly where this is going. Could it be that the only reason that you are in the darkest moment of your life right now is because God's trying to grab your attention? And it's not because he hates you, but because he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he's willing to bring your life to the bottom so you can finally go, time out, God, I give. (laughs) Time out, I'll hear you. God is a loving father, and because he loves us so much, sometimes he is willing to rearrange the circumstances of our life so that we can go, okay, God, I hear you now. Or could it be that the darkness you are facing does not have to be the source of your depression? The darkness of your, that you're facing right now could be the fuel that God uses to start your comeback. Man, that dark moment, that depression that you're facing right now, could it be that God wants to take that and go, listen, I'm going to use this to bring you back to myself. So number one, practice lamenting. Number two, this is, this, I'll be honest with you, this one's difficult. Lean into community and practice honesty. This is why church is so important. It's leaning into community and practicing 
honesty with other believers. James 5, 15 through 16 puts it this way. And he has committed sins, but he will be forgiven. Now watch this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what is this saying? It says, listen, if you want to be healed of that stuff that you're dealing with, of what you're going through, you have to learn to confess it. How many of you sometimes, you walk through moments of your life, and finally when you confess something, you just feel like a weight lifted? And you go, man, why didn't I do that a long time ago? Anybody know what I'm talking about? As soon as you say it, you feel like that weight has been lifted. You know, in the early church, um, the early church was pretty messed up, to be honest with you. They had all kinds of issues that they were dealing with. But the dominant theme all throughout the early church in the New Testament was family and community. The dominant theme, and I'll prove it to you. The words, watch this, words brother and sister are used over 300 times in the New Testament. The words Christian are only used three times. Three times. So I'm going to say something. It might be a little controversial, and if you don't understand what I mean, you can ask me after service, and I'll explain it more. God is more concerned about you being a brother and a sister than he is about you being a Christian. Because here's the truth, and, and here's what I mean by that. So many people identify, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh yeah, I, I do that. Oh yeah, I go to church once every three months. <laughs> oh yeah, I do, yeah, I, I believe. Are you a brother or are you a sister? Do you walk in line with other people? Do you understand that it is so vital and so important to you genuinely having a vibrant walk with Jesus for you to be with other believers? To practice that community, to practice brutal honesty, to say, hey, look, man, this is what I'm really going through. This is what my life looks like. These are the thoughts that I'm thinking. This is what I'm dealing with. See, Jesus is calling his people to be a part of a family. And this is the family that we strive to be as a church. Now, I know for some of us, when you hear that word family, it doesn't sit well with you, right? Because maybe you didn't grow up in a good family. Maybe you didn't grow up in a healthy family. And so when you hear me say things like, hey, we want you to be a part of a family, you're going, if it's anything like my real family, I don't want anything to do with it. But see, the family of God is so much different. And this is what I love about the church If you didn't grow up in a good family, you can have something called spiritual family. And these are your brothers, these are your sisters. This is when you come to the understanding that church is more than just worship music. It's more than good sermons. It's more than perfect attendance and confession of sins. A healthy church is a church that understands the value of brutal, honest community. That we can look each other in the eyes and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm dealing with. And then you know what the flip side of that is? We also get to celebrate. And we, we get to do things like this. We get to say, man, so you have a guy that's maybe struggling, and you begin to struggle with somebody else, and you begin to confess your sins. And what does God do? God begins to stand in the gap, and he begins to do things. And all of a sudden, somebody gets saved in the middle of that. And it becomes a family. See, greater than our natural family, God has created something called spiritual family. So real quick, what is is spiritual family? Spiritual family is simply a bond between believers that compels men and women to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. So here's what it looks like practically. 
when death knocks on your door, there is family to carry your weak legs. Because here's the truth, the TV preacher's not coming to your funeral. <laughs> right? At the end of the day, God says, man, I want to put you in a church that you can say, man, I can grow here, I can grow in community, I can grow in honesty, I can grow in practicing those things. See, when your marriage is days away from ending, there is family that is there to point you to a loving Savior. At the end of the day, that's what we want this church to be. We don't want it to just be a place that we gather and we high-five each other on Sundays. At the end of the day, we want it to be a place, regardless of how big it gets, that there is community, that there are people that love each other enough to tell each other the truth. See, when life is painful and too much to bear, there is family that points you to the truth. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him, watch this, who is alone. When he falls and he does not have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? If though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here's the truth. I just want to say this real quick. Maybe your family abandoned you. Maybe your family left you. Maybe you don't have family. Can I just say this to you? This is a place where we strive to be a family. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is what we strive to do. If you don't have a family, here's what we want to do. We want to say, hey, welcome home. This can be your home. This can be your family. This can be a place that you grow. This can be a place that you flourish. This can be a place where ultimately you can walk into a genuine understanding of what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. Third and final point, and I'm going to bring it to a close. Number three, admit that you need help. Admit that you need help. And I know these are very simple points, but at the end of the day, sometimes the hardest things about Christianity are the most simple. <laughs> Just come to the place where you go, you know what, everything in my life is not okay. I need help. As we read earlier in James, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, stop faking spiritual maturity. Run to the body of Christ and just go, hey, you know what? This part of my life is a mess and I need help. I need Jesus. And the truth is, real life, authentic life, is messy. And sometimes when you do it with other people, it can get messy. And you may say things to one another that may hurt, and you don't like the truth sometimes, but you know what? At the end of the day, you know that those people love you more than just, oh man, I just love hanging out with this person. At the end of the day, you know that these are people that care about your soul. If Psalms 88 were the only Psalms you were to read, it would seem that darkness and hopelessness prevails, right? But in God's story, hopelessness is never the victor. Hopelessness never wins. Psalms 88 is in fact a hopeful psalm precisely because God included it in his hope-filled book. And here's what I mean by this. Oftentimes when you're in a dark moment, all you can see is that Psalms 88 moment. I'm just here and it sucks, and I don't know how to get out of it. And you fail to forget that all around you is hope. 
Man, the Bible is so full of hope-filled stories. But if Psalms 88 were the only one that you ever read, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to stay in this forever. But when you begin to read the rest of the Bible, you begin to understand that God cares more about your redemption than he does about your hopelessness. See, it's so easy to fix our eyes on your current dark circumstances and forget the rest of the hope-filled story. But the truth is, when you understand this, when you understand, okay, man, the good life is about coming to a place where I can be brutally honest with God and the people around me, and that's how I live the good life. Now, I know, like, this seems like an odd sermon because I'm not giving you, like, four points, five points to, hey, this is how you attain peace. This is how you attain joy. This is how you attain all that. And you know what? To be honest with you, I'm just, I I don't like preaching sermons like that. Because I think sometimes we can get up here on a stage and we miss the realities of life that there's sometimes in life it's just not okay. Man, that people go through dark times and everything is not peaches and cream all the time. So I want you to be confronted with the reality that, man, you may be in a dark place, but guess what? God has not forgotten you. You may, be, you may feel like you're in a moment of despair, but God's grace and mercy is available in your pain. It's available in your defeat. It's available in your darkness. It's available when you feel like God has left you. So here's what God would say to many of us today. Man, you want to live the good life? Start with lamenting. Man, cry out to God. Practice being honest. Admit that you need help. This is why our dream teams and this is why our life groups are so important.